So here we go. This morning, uh, we are getting into God's Word. Last week, we started a series, Thank God It Was Friday. This morning, we are continuing with that series, Thank God It's Sunday. And our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 32. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. You're new with us. This is a tradition that we have at WPA where we stand in reverence of God's word and we read the scripture together. So it's on all of our lips and we love scripture. So we're going to read this together in one voice and just kind of listen and you'll catch the pace of how we read together. We're going to read from verse 26 all the way to 32. The scripture will be on the screen. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn. Or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak at one time. And someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. It's not a God. doing well. You got it. I said 32. That's why I stopped. Sorry. It's 33. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we love you, and we're open to hearing what you have to say to us about Sundays. Lord, there's a reason why we gather in this place today, and I want to tap in, Lord, today to the biblical reasons. Would you teach us from 1 Corinthians 14 and lead us, Lord, into a greater understanding of what we can contribute when we come and we gather in your name. And so, Lord, teach us from your word. Lord, use me by the power of your spirit to speak the truth to your people. Let your people hear and obey. May we be a stronger congregation, a more participatory congregation, and a congregation that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And may we do exactly what you've called us to do, to build up and to edify one another. Use us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated. So why do we gather on Sunday instead of any other day? We gather on Sundays in remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus. According to the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew 28, verse 1, Mark 16, verse 2, and Luke 24, verse 1, the resurrection took place on the first day of a new week after the Sabbath, which was the last day of the previous week. We gather on Sunday as it was the practice of the early church. For example, the Apostle Paul, he gathered with the believers that were meeting in Troas on the first day of the week in Acts chapter 20, verse 8. And this event included taking part in the Lord's Supper, which is the breaking of bread, and then hearing the preaching of God's word. Another example is the Apostle John, and the Apostle John was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And in this experience, 
Jesus shared to John seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor in which he corrected and he commended them for their works and for their conduct. The Corinthian church, also like the Galatian church, was encouraged to set aside some months, some money, some funds, some resources on the first day of the week so that it could be collected for the Lord's people who were in need in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. And so this sets a precedent for the financial giving of our tithes or even our offerings to the Lord on the first day. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, the author of the epistle, he identified a significant problem among the people of God. And the scripture says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some people actually believed that they could be a Christian without gathering with other believers, that they could be an island unto themselves. They thought they could have a private faith instead of a public faith. They thought they could have a personal faith instead of a collective faith. And if so, then how could they ever spur on one another or ever encourage each other? You can't do it. The same problem has impacted every generation thereafter and is also true of our generation and of our time. See, as a society and as a culture, it is continually in flux and changing. And church attendance has radically changed from weekly to bi-weekly, now to monthly. Some people are only making it to church once a month. I'm so glad that we have our live stream available to you on Sunday mornings, so much so that we have an online pastor who is available to you. Pastor Joshua is online right now, and he's willing to serve any of you and offer pastoral care to you. But friends, being together physically is so much better than being together digitally. There's just a difference. You know what, if I, I was sharing with the prayer team this morning, you know, if we're digitally connect, connecting you online, you might be experiencing maybe 50% of what is actually taking place in the room here. The people, the voices, the contributions, the encouraging back and forth to one another, you're just getting a portion of that. But there's something special about being together in this place. So if you are able, can I encourage you today, please make every effort to be with us here at WPA on Sundays. But this morning, I wanna help you understand what ought to take place on a Sunday morning when believers gather together in the name of Jesus based on 1 Corinthians 14, 26, all the way to 33. The first thing is everyone. Everyone has a role to play. We find this in verse 26, the first half. The scripture says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has. And then there's a list of items that we should be bringing to the table. Now, I need to preface today that the early church was very different than the 21st century church when it comes to size. Surely the early church was large, but it was a house church movement. The typical early house church had no more than 50 people in it. And so this created an intimate worshiping community where everybody could have a contribution to make. And even though 3,000 were added to the church in Acts 2.41, and then 2,000 more were added to the church in Acts 4 verse 4, and then thousands more were added afterwards, 
The early church was a small local church phenomenon. Therefore, the thousand plus people who attend WPA would have been broken down into 20 or 25 small house churches if we were living in the first century. The Apostle Paul, he began by instructing brothers and sisters. And this sets the tone for equal participation. This is not just men leading. This is men and women both participating in leading. And it's enhanced by the phrase, each of you has. And the idea here is that every person, both male and female, has a contribution to make when we gather on a Sunday morning. And that's good news. Now, in a small church of 50, it's realistic for everyone to be involved in some sort of aspect of the service. But what about in the case of a church of 250? What about in the case of a church of 500? What about in the case of a church of 1,000 plus? How do we make a contribution in the 60 to 75 minutes that we share together on a Sunday morning? Well, I want to answer that question for you today. The first thing you can do is sing. You can sing. And the first contribution that is listed that everyone can make in a service is bringing a hymn. Now, when you hear the word hymn, the early church did not have in mind how great thou art. The early church did not have in mind holy, 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 which are the classic hymns that we sing to this day. They were singing scripture. They were singing New Testament scripture about Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19, the Apostle Paul actually instructed, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, you speaking to me, me speaking to you, with psalms, and here's the word hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. We take note of the directionality of the songs that we sing. They were to speak to one another using songs. That is horizontal. They were, the songs that they sang were made to the Lord. That is vertical. It goes to the Lord. And furthermore, these songs came from the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and are given back to God. Isn't that cool? See, one of the deterrents to everyone contributing a hymn is that we nowadays are musically illiterate. We don't have a lot of musical knowledge. We don't have hymn books that we can read anymore. Not all of us are musical. And no doubt those who are musically gifted should contribute their vocal and instrumental gifts to the Lord. We saw that this morning in our time of worship. But the church cannot abandon singing and leave it to the professionals. I don't care how bad your voice is. You can make a sound to the Lord. The Bible says let everything that has what? Breath. You have breath? You have breath. Great. You can make a noise, a joyful noise to the Lord. And so we must add our voice by singing along with those who lead us in song. And we as the congregation, we contribute as part of the choir on Sunday. You don't need a choir robe to be in the choir. So we do not come to church on Sundays and stay silent. We don't spectate. No, even if you don't know the lyrics, you lift up your voice to the Lord, and you worship him, and you magnify him, and you make a joyful noise to him because he's worthy of it all. Secondly, within that, there's teaching, 
And the second contribution listed is that everyone can make a contribution of a word of instruction. Now, one of the deterrents in everyone contributing a word of instruction is that the local church has become very professionalized with full-time pastors and part-time pastors. And no doubt that's a good thing. Those who are called and those who have shown themselves approved to rightly handle God's word, they should function in the office of the pastor. The preaching and the teaching of God's word is not a one-way communication. It is a two-way communication. And you're showing me that today by, as I look out into the congregation, you're not just sitting there listening. You're saying something back to me. And I've told you in the past that one of the ways that you can affirm the truth of the word of God is by saying amen. And amen means so be it. That's what you're saying back to me. So be it, pastor. So be it. Or you can say hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And it shouldn't have to be cued by your pastor. Let everybody say amen, right? That's not the goal. The Lord wants some spontaneity in your hearts. He wants you to overflow with these words. It should come from the mouth of every congregation member. As long as your pastor is teaching biblical truth, you say amen, you say praise the Lord, you say hallelujah, you say it all. And that is the way that you contribute to the teaching moment because you're telling the person next to you, he's so right on. That's the word of God. That's not a lie. This is the truth. The third thing is revelation. And the third contribution listed is that everyone in a service can make this contribution of a revelation. Uh, A revelation is a word of prophecy. It could come in the form of exhortation or encouragement. It could include a message of consolation or comfort. And I think of two Old Testament occasions when there were people who prophesied, many people who prophesied. The first example is found in Numbers 11, 24 to 29, where it says, So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, what did they do? They prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. And they were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Somebody's, you know, tattletaling. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been with Moses, who had been Moses' aide since his youth, he spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. See, prophesying, it may be essential for leaders, but it was not restricted to just spiritual elites. Moses wished that all of God's people, every one of them, all of that two million people he was leading would prophesy under the power of the Holy Spirit. The second example is found in 1 Samuel 19, 18 to 24, where it says, when David had fled and he made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him 
And then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. The word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the spirit of God came on Saul's men and they also prophesied. And Saul was told about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. And Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. And finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern of Siku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth and he stripped off his garments and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence the story of the power of God. See, there was a traveling guild of prophets that went from place to place from the time of the prophet Samuel all the way to the time of the prophet Elisha. And all of Saul's men were sent there to Samuel under the power of the Spirit and they prophesied. And finally, Saul himself experienced the same. He came under the power of the Spirit on his way to Samuel and so much so that people actually thought that Saul was a prophet. And in both cases here, we see groups of people prophesying. And we unfortunately do not know the content of their prophesying. It's not important for us, but it was important for them. But we are assured that their prophesying was from the Spirit of the Lord. And therefore, we believe in the prophethood of all believers. I believe that the Lord can give you a word to share that will contribute to the life of this church. And it will edify and build up many. So as we turn to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he continued his teaching in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, by saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. See, we're not to desire prophecy alone. That would actually be wrong. We are to desire all the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And the reason is that prophecy is spoken to people and not to God. And there's an immediate profitability for all who hear. Fourth, we have tongues and interpretation. This is the fourth contribution listed that everyone can use. And, and the idea is that everyone can use their spiritual gifts. Not necessarily just tongues and interpretation, but everyone can use their spiritual gifts. And the specific example is that of tongues and interpretation in this service. And I say everyone because I believe God has envisioned that the entire body of Christ would be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. I actually believe that. I believe that you can have an experience with God where you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It'll be experienced unlike any other, and you will speak in a new tongue. Now, this is part of a two-part gift, spiritual gift, which takes a little bit more cooperation and takes a little bit more time to exercise. But when we first think of tongues, we think of languages. That's what the tongue is useful for, for speaking. And this was the case on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. You might know the story that when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. What a special experience. The 120 were all speaking in tongues. And this first experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was unique in that it was to serve as a sign that would initiate the spread of Christianity throughout the whole world. These Jews confirmed that their languages were indeed being spoken, so they themselves, they actually functioned as the interpreters of that tongue. And while we do not have one common message, Luke explained that the witnesses heard those gathered in the upper room declaring the wonders of God. And so while the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I really believe, is for everyone, it differs from the gift of tongues and interpretation, which not all, but some will receive. It's a gift. And the interpretation we are looking at in 1 Corinthians 14 is not of a known language, but of an unknown language. But you know what? At the end of the day, the Apostle Paul, he admonished the church in Corinth, and he admonishes all of us today as the Bible still speaks in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, and it says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. This is the word of God. I would like, Paul would wish, that every one of us would speak in tongues. So those who are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you today to earnestly seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Second point this morning is everything. We find this in the second half of verse 26 where it says everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And we must not only take note of everyone, but we must take note of also everything. Thank God it's Sunday because everything that is said and done must be done for the purpose of edification, the purpose of building up and encouraging one another. We do not gather together for selfish reasons. We do not gather together today because we have low self-esteem. We gather to encourage and to build up. And all the rest of the days of the week, my friends, you will need to encourage and build up yourself in the Lord. That's not something I can do for you. That is something you can do for yourself. The Apostle Paul, he outlined the spiritual impact of the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.3. He says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening for their encouraging, for their comfort. Do you see the building up here? Strengthening, encouraging, comfort. When we use our spiritual gifts, we're speaking to people and to each other, to the people in front of us, to the people behind us, to the people beside us in church, the people all around us in church, whether you know them or not. When spiritual gifts are exercised, you should experience one of these three traits, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. Otherwise, the gifts are not functioning correctly. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, the Apostle Paul, he advised, since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And what what does he mean here? He means that it's possible to have all sorts of spiritual gifts, but yet still not build up the body. And this is the case in the church in Corinth. They're very gifted people. There ought to be an eagerness factor in all of us. Every believer must come to church looking for ways to exercise their spiritual gifts. Because in a church of this size, it will require a little bit more patience. It will require a little bit more listening. 
It will require a little bit more waiting as to when to exercise your gift. But friends, don't lose the eagerness. So there's this eagerness factor, but there's also this excellence factor. That none of us are experts when it comes to the spiritual gifts. None of us have a degree in spiritual gifts. It takes time. It takes practice in order to excel in something. Therefore, the the idea and the saying, practice makes perfect. We will make mistakes along the way, and that's okay as long as we learn from them. But we shouldn't repeat the same mistakes over and over again. We should make progress in the exercising of our spiritual gifts. I love this. Excelling means consistency in the spiritual gift and maximum impact of the spiritual gift. After discussing the insufficiency of tongues without interpretation, the apostle Paul, he offered the following correction in 1 Corinthians 14, 17. He said, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one is being edified. You're speaking in tongues and I'm like, that's awesome. You're so spiritual. God is with you, obviously, but nobody's benefiting from it. Be careful that you do not exercise your spiritual gifts selfishly. It's not for you. It's for others. And the worst thing that can happen when we gather together on a Sunday is that no one is edified. That is the worst thing that can happen, that no one's edified. Nearing the end of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Apostle Paul, he returned to the theme of everything and he said, but everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. And I want to emphasize fit for a moment when it comes to the exercising of our gifts in a service because we cannot deny that there is a spiritual element, but there are also human elements. It's not like we're being possessed and taken over by another power. No, this is cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And the spiritual gifts can become chaotic when we are out of sync with the Holy Spirit's timing. And while there's this urgency that comes because the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit, there is also a discerning, a discerning of when to say something and when not to say something. Equally spiritual, something said unfittingly may be the right message at the wrong time. Therefore, we need to ensure that the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us when it comes to our participation using our spiritual gifts. But I also want to emphasize order when it comes to the exercising of spiritual gifts in a service because people are most afraid of spiritual gifts because of the disorder they create. That when we don't use and steward our spiritual gifts rightly, it creates disorder among us. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, the Apostle Paul, he stressed, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. We need to submit to the biblical guidelines that the Apostle Paul has given us in Scripture because even spontaneity can be ordered and be fitted if the Holy Spirit is present. And thirdly today, is anyone and someone. In verses 27 to 31, let me read it to you. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop 
For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. While anyone can be used of God and anyone can be the recipient of a spiritual gift, someone must cooperate with God. Someone must open their mouth and prophesy and speak in a tongue in a service. Someone needs to stand up and do it. Somebody needs to open up their mouths and do it. And we're just talking about the vocal gifts here. Though many can, it is often, have you noticed, many of the same few people. The Apostle Paul puts limits to ensure that a service was not hijacked by those who were exercising their spiritual gifts. See, the maximum number of speakers in a given time is three people. But the goal was actually for more people to take turns instead of monopolizing the time and the opportunities. So if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit today with the evidence of speaking in tongues in your personal life, I believe that maybe God would use you to share a public message in tongues. It's possible. And if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit as of yet, but I believe there's still something that you can contribute, that maybe you could prophesy or maybe you could interpret a message in tongues in the common language of English that all of us would understand. What are we supposed to do when the vocal spiritual gifts are expressed publicly? The Bible tells us what to do. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 too, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them for they utter mysteries by the Spirit. You see, if someone gives a message in tongues, both the speaker and the listener should pray to interpret the tongue. And if someone prophesies the listener's should carefully weigh the message. See, when the spiritual gifts are expressed, our task is to pray and to weigh. That's our responsibility. Pray and weigh. Is this from God? We ask ourselves the following four questions. Is this edifying to the church? Is this scriptural? Does this come from the Bible? Does it have a source? Is it timely? And fourth, is it orderly? And these are questions we can use to determine if this is from the Lord. Apostle Paul, you further explained in 1 Corinthians 14, latter half of verse 5, that the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And I want you to catch that word, unless. See, many people have shown contempt towards tongues, believing it's a lesser gift or inferior gift when compared with prophecy, but prophecy is of greater benefit than tongues only when there is not an interpretation. Prophecy is of equal benefit to tongues if the message is interpreted, that we can understand it. So prophecy is uh, from one person to all communication, but tongues and interpretation is from one or two or three people to all communication little bit more complicated, but it's still enriching. And when properly exercised, the outcome is the same. People are edified by the message. That's the goal here, friends, that anything that happens here at WPA, that you would be edified, that you'd be strengthened, that you'd be comforted, that you'd be encouraged, that you'd leave built up instead of brought down. As the worship team returns, and we bring the service to a close, I want to share a phrase with you today that I hope that you will hold on to and I hope that you'll ponder it over the next week. The phrase is this, is that we meet 
to part, but we part to meet. We meet to part, but we part to meet. Maybe another way of saying it is this. We gather to scatter, but we scatter to gather. I want to focus on that. We part to meet and, and we, ga- we scatter to gather. See, you're going to leave this place today. Hopefully you're leaving edified and built up. And for the next six days of your life, you're going to engage with this neighborhood. You're going to engage with your workplace. You're going to engage with your school. You're going to engage with your community. And from now until then, you are going to need to edify and encourage and build yourself in the Lord. How do you do that? You read his word and you pray and you lean on the Holy Spirit. You need to have a devotional life. You can't expect Sunday to carry you throughout the rest of the week. Now make sure that you make every effort to gather here again seven days from now. That's what I'm asking you to do because In a day when people attend church so sporadically, let me tell you, your church family feels your absence when you're not here. And I sincerely mean that. Because I look out from this pulpit into the congregation and I see all your faces. And I have this mental record of kind of who was here. And even online, we see your names and we see you check in and we see you engage online. And it matters to us because you're a part of the family. And the gathered body is incomplete without you. I want you to know that. We actually miss your contribution to the service because we're excited to see how the Holy Spirit might use each and every one of you to make a contribution. Yeah, in a church so large, I know you probably think that it's difficult to be known, difficult for somebody to remember my name or to remember my face. I'm just a number. You're not just a number. You need to know today that your pastors notice you. We think of you. We pray for you often throughout the week. Why? Because you matter. Why? Because you're not only a part of the family of God, you're part of the family of WPA. So whether you've been here for years or you're new to the family, can I just say to you today, we love you. We care about you sincerely. I mean, life will cause that to be a test where you see how much we love you, what things you go through, and how we respond and care for you through that. I know we're not perfect people. I'd be the first to confess that we drop the ball sometimes. But I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I can speak on behalf of all the pastors here and even all the church leaders that are here, is that we love you deeply. We care about you. And we want to see you used of the Lord in a powerful way, especially when we gather here on Sundays. When you're not here, we feel your absence. It's like me going home and missing one of my kids because they're not there. And that might be okay for one or two weeks, and that might happen. And such is life, and such is the summer, and such is just life. There's things happening. There's commitments and, and, and you know, appointments that we have to attend. I understand that. But when you're not here, we feel it. And I want you to know that we care about you. We want to follow up with you. If you're ever going through something, you can reach out to us. We want to walk with you. We want to pray for you. We want to counsel you with God's word. Some of you have tasted and experienced that. Some of you have yet to taste and experience that at WPA. But this is a family. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have a very small family. 
I have parents. I have a sister who lives a little far away. I don't have much family. Can I say this today? You are my family. And I hope that likewise you will be my family. That when I'm going through something, you'll be there for me. And that when you're going through something, I'll be there for you. We'll hold each other up and we'll come around each other. We'll cover each other in prayer. We'll support each other in tangible ways that we can. But that you should never be alone, even in church this size. I think the reason why we had this service today like this, because I wanted you to take note of who's here. I wanted you to see each other's faces again. Because it's been two years, more than two years, then some of us have even had a conversation with each other. And at the same time, some of you are so new that you, have, you haven't even had the opportunity to meet some of the people who have been here at WPA for a long time. And we haven't been able to extend that welcome to you. I want this place to be a family. No matter how big WPA ever grows, may we always keep this intact that we're a family. Whether it's two services, three services, on different days, online, I don't care what it is. Even online family, you're part of the family. We care about you.